Well, welcome back, friends around the world. Hope you are well. You are listening to another episode of the Podcasting Guild, Babylon 5. For today's episode, we take a look at A Voice in the Wilderness, Part 1, the first two-parter in our Babylon 5 watch-through. And with this episode, we're going to see some interesting new developments on the planet that Babylon 5 is orbiting. Yeah, yeah, it is exciting. We haven't heard much about the planet. Clearly, they haven't heard much about the planet either, they being the the characters, which definitely raises the question why they chose this planet to put Babylon 5 around. (laughs) And... I guess they didn't say this explicitly, but I assumed that this was the same planet that they put the other Babylons around. Yep. Mm -hmm. And if that assumption is correct, then it must be a really good spot. But again, it's a spot that they seem to just be, oh, we just thought it was a regular old planet. We didn't really think about it too much. It's like, well, why did you build five diplomatic space stations here then? I think it might make sense to build a space station around a dead planet so you don't have people trying to go and capture the planet and stuff and it getting embroiled in war when you want it to be a diplomatic space station ostensibly, right? Yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. A couple comments, though. After you lost four other space stations, <laughs> maybe pick a new planet. Pick a new planet. If there's nothing special about it, maybe it's got some bad juju. Very you know, true. Maybe it's got some Very bad true. luck. Second point, in the previous, uh, or one of our previous episodes, they mentioned a Lagrange point. Put mm-hmm. it there. That's a perfect place for a place. Put it in the Lagrange point, guys. Then you don't need to worry about planets shooting <laughs> missiles at you. Spoiler alert. All right. There we go. That's my, pre- <laughs> That's my pre-episode <laughs> rant. I'm sure there'll be many rants yet to come. Oh, here's a rant. I I can't hold it in. So I watched the wrong episode <laughs> again. We were going to record this a couple days ago, but I watched the one that HBO presented to me, TKO, instead of the correct one, A Voice <laughs> in the Wilderness Part 1. And all I want to say is TKO was the worst episode so far. <laughs> it was so bad. I was annoyed <laughs> that I watched it. And then I was annoyed that it wasn't even the right episode. Okay, that's what I have to say. Let's talk about this episode. <laughs> Preview for upcoming episodes of the Podcasting Guild brought to you by yeah. Andrew. Spoiler alert. Uh-huh. It sucks. <laughs> I was telling Eric, I was offended that this was the <laughs> Jewish episode because it sucked. <laughs> All right. but, but when I say this one, I meant the, one, the other one. Not this one. This episode, A Voice in the Wilderness Part 1, was actually quite good. One of the more interesting ones. Yeah. Certainly opens up some uh, very big cans of worms. Some interesting new developments with this episode. Yeah, big cans of worms. Are the worms big or is it just a can with many normal-sized worms? I don't know. Questions for the philosophers. But you know what we open this episode with is something I don't think we've seen before, which is a rotund mimbari. And he speaks too normally, like he speaks, you know, quickly and confidently and in a way that makes Delane and Delane's sidekick. <laughs> it's like, wait, do they have speech problems? Like, I, if it's not a thing with their race, then why do they talk like that? <laughs> also, I should point out that he went through customs and no one got shot or killed. And the customs agent survived, too. 
Oh yeah, amazing. no one died in cause. Also, also, just the lightest security. Like I think he just gets like a two second scan. Yep, and that's security for Babylon Five. It's <laughs> like yeah, okay, it makes sense that you have a huge underworld because your security is a joke. <laughs> so there's actually a, a few different. I felt like there was more than an A plot and B plot this episode, but maybe. Yeah, there's there's probably three different plots going on here because you have the yeah. A plot with what's going on on the planet and all the information surrounding that. You have the B plot with Delenn and her mentor figuring out things, and the C plot with Garibaldi and his goings on on Mars, and maybe even a slight D plot with him and Talia. Yeah, three at least three threads. You're right. Which was a lot to, a lot to follow <laughs> on an evening of a work day, but I did my best. So we one of the opening scenes right after our Mimbari friend with light security is Sinclair green lighting a geological survey, right? And Ivanova's like, "Oh, it'll take a few hours." I'm like, man, the geological surveys have gotten efficient in the future. <laughs> in the future, like, okay, first off, that's literally unbelievable. As and I don't believe it that you can perform a geological survey of an entire planet in a few hours. Secondly, if it was that easy, why didn't they do it ages ago? Why didn't they do it when they were building Babylon One here? Well, that might explain why they didn't find these things in the first place because it was so unthorough that they were able to get it done in a couple hours the first time. Yeah. Yeah, and then after they lost a bunch of them, no one was like, hey, I wonder if this planet has anything to do with the disappearances. <laughs> if we even flew towards it, we would find out that they have missiles and stuff that they shoot at <laughs> us. But no, no, no need to fly towards it. Why would we do that? Let's just go ahead and build another massive space station filled with hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. Just fine. No problems whatsoever. I mean, it looks like an empty planet from up here, a few thousand miles away. So clearly it must be empty. Exactly. Exactly. No geological survey. Sure, it will only take a few hours. <laughs> but no. No need. This is Babylon 3. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> oh, boy. We, well, I mean, I, you probably know. I don't know what happened to the other Babylons. It, it would make sense if they got blowed up with planet missiles, but probably not. Slight spoiler alert. We do find out later on what happened to them, but I won't spoil that here. I mean, we have to. It would be, it would be absolutely insane if they were like, oh, yeah, there were four other ones. No one knows what happens to them. And that will include you. We're not going to tell you what happened. Go go screw yourself, uh, Babylon 5. Yes, exactly. That's how we roll oh here on Babylon 5. Yeah, they sank into the swamp. Shut up about it. Just shut up about Babylon 4. Just just stop asking. Well, it's like the Psychor. They don't have a secret base on Mars. What are you talking about? Just don't ask about it. There's no secret base there. It's true. You know, maybe because they can read minds, they don't lie. But I was like, Talia, you are... I mean, I don't, <laughs> she's just like, yeah, Garibaldi knows. And he wants to, I don't know. I don't know. She couldn't have uh, played it a little cooler. But again, I guess they can read minds. Is it like Darth Vader style where they can use their powers over a, over a screen? They have to be within a certain distance, I believe, if I recall correctly. They can't use it like over the screen. But if they can see it within a couple hundred feet or something... They can maybe have an effect okay. depending on, you know, how strong of a telepath they are. So someone like Talia is not super strong, 
So she maybe has a range of a couple dozen feet, maybe a hundred feet or something. But someone like Bester, our good friend, might have a much farther range in his case. I see. I see. Okay. That's good to know. Oh, I did note that the Psycor's emblem is, of course, the a, a, the Greek letter Psy. So that's mm-hmm. fun. That's hey, they got it right. <laughs> nugget. <laughs> and one has to wonder, is Garibaldi telepathic too? Considering he constantly shows up in the same elevators that Talia does. Yeah, that was that was a, a <laughs> you know a fun little line. And since you told me that the actors are married, it really made all their scenes <laughs> together just a little you know a little more entertaining. Yeah, especially when Garibaldi is speaking passionately about this ex lover, mm-hmm. and Talia just kind of has this smirk on her face the whole time. <laughs> they had a pretty good on screen relationship for the course of it. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, and then we get a little throwaway scene with Londo and Delane negotiating over, it it doesn't really matter, trade routes or something. But it shows Sinclair doing something. He's not shooting people. He's actually doing diplomatic stuff. And they're being ambassadors. Look at him. Real ambassadors. A whole whole 30-second scene where he's not doing something weird (laughs) right before he and the other commanding officer get into the same shuttle and fly at the thing that was shooting missiles. Hey, it was a couple scenes later. It's a couple scenes later. Give him a break. He was doing ambassador stuff. (laughs) Oh, boy. Sinclair. Sinclair, what are you doing? Yeah, playing diplomat. As he liked to say, yeah, which does sort of, you know, when he says it like that, it really just raises the question in my mind again. Why is he the ambassador? Like, why is the military officer in charge of the station also the ambassador, especially because we have seen him be absolutely terrible about keeping up with like political goings on. Yeah. Right. When when those uh, PSYCOR internal investigation people showed up he was totally blindsided and it was like wait a minute wasn't this big news Mm -hmm. wasn't this popularly driven legislation based on terrorist attacks like follow the news sinclair (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we recognize that even in the modern era military command has a very different skill set from a diplomat or an ambassador you don't typically see a mix of those two people. You have a dedicated diplomat, dedicated military command structures for their own purposes. They're different yeah. skill sets for the most part. So I it mean, is the, unusual. The, peop- the people might play the same roles. Like there have been plenty sure. of, of high you know, generals who went into politics and became ambassadors. You know, that's not at all uncommon. Yeah. It's just that they don't usually do that while they're still <laughs> performing their active duties you know yeah those two careers are very jealous careers that take a lot of attention you can't yeah. really have secondary careers while you're doing one or the other for sure well not yeah i was gonna say a conflict of interest as well perhaps but um yeah anyway that was just my thoughts at this the little throwaway line sinclair <laughs> said about playing diplomat i'm sorry if you can hear that my wife is choosing a uh, interesting moment to play with the dog here. <laughs> Can you hear that, Eric? A little bit, but no big deal. Don't worry okay, about it. Sorry about that. Oh, and another another thing that made me be like, did you, does anyone here know what their job is? When Londo <laughs> was like, I'll have my government write up that. It's like, dude, you're the ambassador. The <laughs> government has you do stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. 
<laughs> ambassadors yeah. don't you know write back to the governments with orders that's not how that works uh, we don't know quite how their legislative assembly works maybe he has to go through committee hearings or something who knows yeah no i'm <laughs> sure i'm sure you're right the one thing i didn't get with that was what role exactly was Sinclair playing? Because the conversation seemed to be just between the Membari and Centauri, and I don't know why he was involved in that. They didn't like say, oh, Oris gets this or that. It was just like, okay, well, Centauri's going to do this, and Membari get this and that. Yeah, I no, that he was, was sort of playing the role of like an arbiter, but it wasn't very contentious. Like, yeah. usually you need a third-party arbiter when two sides are at war or something, right? Disputed territories, yeah. Exactly. They need a neutral party to mediate. But this seemed perfectly uh, (laughs) friendly. And (laughs) like countries don't usually have third-party mediators to negotiate trade deals between themselves. So yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think the whole meeting, they barely even played lip service to it. It was like (laughs) two lines in the you know the whole meeting about what was supposed to be a trade deal yeah it was very obviously just an excuse to get londo uh, <laughs> delane and sinclair in a room together so that sinclair and delane could or you know londo could tell them about how the narn feel about them and you know set up what i'm sure will be i'm well, not even set up we've seen their their dynamic this whole time right. but you know i'm guessing it's going to be one of the long-term themes here I figured the screenwriters heard your commentary about the ambassadors not doing enough ambassadorial stuff and went back in time and corrected it. So they, they yeah, did must, the ambassadorial stuff. To be stuff. clear, show writers, since you have a time machine, let me, let me <laughs> clarify my commentary. It's not that they're not doing enough ambassadorial stuff. It's that they're doing a lot of stuff that is bonkers for an ambassador <laughs> to be doing. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. But anyway, like that, I guess that's why that's why we're watching the show. If it was actually depicting a realistic day to day life of an ambassador, it would be incredibly boring. In most cases, I would imagine. I didn't take notes on every scene here, so if we do, <laughs> if I do skip ahead too much, as always, you know. But the next thing I wanted to talk about was <laughs> the help me, <laughs> Sinclair Kenobi. You're my only hope. <laughs> The little hologram, help me, Sinclair sees, and then it turns out a few other members see it as well. And that was great. That's like an instant way to add drama and a a bit of suspense, tension to the happenings. Especially because I assumed that it was in Sinclair's head at first. Although my wife got it right away. She was like, oh, (laughs) it's it's part of the the whatever weird stuff happened with the planet oh oh i did skip ahead we should talk about the weird stuff that happened with the planet take it away eric <laughs> yeah so the very effective and economic survey crew is now surveying the planet and a burst of energy comes from the planet long beacon of light traveling out from the planet which hits the shuttle that the guys are in and they managed to establish a stable orbit they didn't crash into the planet immediately or start crashing into the planet, which I thought you might appreciate, Andrew, because I know you, you're you very uh, anxious about such things and physics being correct. There'll be more commentary on physics in a little bit from Londo, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, then uh, that causes all the uh, systems to go out of whack for a little bit. Ivana dispatches some fighters to go collect the shuttle crew and bring them back to base. And then we return back to the station where... Sinclair starts having those visions after he meets with Londo and Delenn to have their pseudo-intellectual discussions around trade and stuff. 
Right, right, yeah. And then Londo trots out, you're right, yeah. Equal and opposite reaction. And yeah. Newton's, they hate us, we hate them. Which doesn't sound like equal and opposite, right? That sounds Not like... Quite. Like, wouldn't love be? <laughs> yeah. Hold on. I really quick, though, want to talk about the scientist doing the survey. Yeah. Because he, he like, he's written to have, like, a death wish. <laughs> Half his lines are like, he's taken risks, can't help himself, but to put everyone at risk to try and do science. And then later he says something along the lines of, like, what could be better than dying in the name of science? I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> How do the other people in that shuttle feel about this dude? Like, I'm glad he's, you know, my advisor wasn't like this. This dude is ridiculous. I'm sure the guys that turned on the Large Hadron Collider were saying the exact same thing, hoping they wouldn't, like, start a black hole or something. <laughs> yeah, for real. I I mean, yeah. <laughs> You're right. But yeah, this guy was just just like oh yeah yeah what 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 better way to go out than advancing science is like bro why do you have to go out <laughs> what what if we yeah what if you instead of just diving towards the thing that tried to kill you right away what if figure some stuff out first i don't know that applies to you too sinclair <laughs> maybe send robots to go do this considering they have robots yeah. on this station i don't understand why they even send robots but oh my god yeah that's a great point send some robots uh, what if you just kept firing until the missile stopped coming? Like they don't have <laughs> infinite missiles, right? You're shooting lasers, mm-hmm. which presumably don't run out. What if you just see? Just just spend <laughs> spend a week, spend a week seeing if they run out of missiles, and if they don't, then send uh, the commanding officer to <laughs> you know <laughs> play a game of chicken. Yes, Plan B. <laughs> yep, and then. Afterwards, there's a, a brief acknowledgement that something is going on on Mars, and now there's been a terrorist attack on Mars, in quotations. Because we don't have all the knowledge yet as to what's going on on Mars at the moment. And Delenn is visited by her mentor, Mr. Drawl, who we saw at the start of the episode at that point, and they have a nice little conversation together. Yeah, that's right. I I almost forgot about that. You know, I wasn't that invested in the Delenn mentor yeah. subplot. You know, they do this, actually, they, they do this two times this episode with Garibaldi and, and this woman that he mm-hmm. can't stop thinking about. It's like, mention them before this episode. <laughs> the fact that no one's mentioned them up until now kind of makes it hard to buy that this is a really, I mean, okay, the mentor, fine. Like, whatever, you're right. We don't know, like, a lot of characters from Delane's past. But this dude with Garibaldi, like... I don't know. We've had a lot of moments with Garibaldi sharing little snippets of his personal life or his past. Like if he had mentioned this woman, Mm -hmm. it would have made it a lot easier to actually feel for him when he's like, I I just I can't stop thinking about her. And I need to call in this huge favor from Talia, who I'm not really friends with. But, you know, yeah, it's like, well, wait a minute. You've done no legwork to establish this relationship to be so important. Mm-hmm. that it would warrant anything and so it was it was hard to yeah it was hard for me to be like oh no garibaldi he can't sleep he's worried you know it mm-hmm. just it didn't bite didn't have any teeth yeah like maybe have a couple pictures of her in the background of his 
apartment when Lanier's in there or have Lanier ask, oh, who's that? And he can be like, oh, some old flame. But one thing, the more I see of Garibaldi, I don't know why I can't get it out of my mind, but I just keep going back to his whole story arc is like film noir, just going on in the background of the rest of the series. I just keep going back to that film noir opening that we did. You're 100% right. It absolutely is is a film noir (laughs) background. Man, you should write another intro. That was excellent. (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. And it's got this element of noir that I've always found kind of funny where the background is kept vague enough that any amount of hard knock experience can be fit into it right yeah you know if garibaldi you know came out and was like oh yeah i actually spent three years working in the whatever mines it's like yeah of course you did right (laughs) like like your background is vague enough that any relevant experience that you might need you could fit in there yeah i was trying to fit where he worked on mars versus where he worked on titan from that last time one of his people from his past came back and I couldn't quite figure out where he was working like he got fired from his last four jobs and all this other stuff and yeah his timeline's kind of all a mess yeah it's true it, it's all a mess you're right I forgot about that one where the presidential security chief's father or something yeah father was killed and she blamed him yeah yeah I, I agree with you very film noir definitely has that feel <laughs> i like the fact that he only drinks water that's a nice touch yeah and of course lando trying to be the happy-go-lucky guy it's always fun to have lando like that yeah this was a fun lando episode and it was interesting that he had this whole speech about how much you know the narn hate them and then later was like i just spread joy to everybody <laughs> which yeah i don't know i i was wondering what got lando in such a happy mood this episode if I didn't know better, I think they would kill him off. They're going to kill him off, you know. <laughs> Character suddenly gets cheerful and and starts helping everybody deal with their problems. They're like, yeah, you you better, yeah, look both ways, buddy. That's <laughs> that's usually not a good sign for a character. Yeah. Well, a little bit later on, we we did find out that he was a little bit unhappy about some other things, particularly trying to figure out the significance of some Earth music which I thought was pretty funny, but we'll get to that yeah. in a little bit. <laughs> all, all the Londo scenes were pretty cute in this episode. Yeah, I liked the Ivanova had a great little <laughs> uh, speech, the Bab 5 mantra. Yes. Opening with Ivanova is always right. I liked that whole sequence. <laughs> this was when she was scolding the scientists because she was like, oh, don't drop too low or the spaceships can't follow. And I loved this bit because usually... Science fiction doesn't blink twice having the spaceships fly into an atmosphere, but it makes perfect sense to me that ships designed to fly in space would be garbage at flying in atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, so I actually really appreciate that detail. <laughs> yeah, they definitely called that out. Very clear that the star fears can only go so far into the atmosphere and the scientists ignore that and end up almost getting shot down again. And then Ivanova has her famous mantra, and we all know now that Ivanova is God, and you do not ever not listen to her. You always listen to Ivanova. Yeah, yeah, that, I, I enjoyed the Bad Five mantra. <laughs> and as soon as she said, don't drop too low, you just knew. You 100% knew that yeah. he was going to drop super low. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, why even include that line in there unless you're going to do it? <laughs> well, as you said, the lead scientist has a death wish. And he's just trying his damnedest to get something to happen, and he almost gets it. (laughs) 
It's true. Yeah, he gets missiles shot at him. But And you know who else has a death wish? Sinclair and Ivanova, because they get in a shuttle and fly towards the thing that was just shooting missiles at them. <laughs> yeah, no decoys, no nothing. Just the two senior officers of Babylon 5 together in the same shuttle flying towards a missile launcher. No big deal. Don't worry about it. Stop asking questions. He's a good pilot. He knows what he's doing best pilot ever he's a good pilot and he he's a lucky pilot because they so they were flying down to this crevasse (laughs) yeah and they were like flying through the crevasse for a good you know whatever 10 seconds think about how far you can go in a car in 10 seconds right like they're 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 flying a long distance and then they turn the lights on it's pitch black in here (laughs) and by the way when they turn the lights on we we get a cgi scene and the walls are right there yeah right in front of them (laughs) really really uh yeah living life on the edge yeah and the other thing was that he acknowledged that it was going to take him at least two miles to slow down and he was hoping that it was going to be a deep enough crevasse that that was actually possible they didn't bother sending drones down to figure out actually how deep it was or anything like that no totally yeah they, i mean exactly yeah and ivanova's like oh what a time to bring that up yeah it's like <laughs> guys guys what are you doing uh, <laughs> So, I mean, that was a little a, a little bit on the silly side, but I actually did like the bits we got when they landed because it was basically Indiana Jones in space. Yes. Yeah. You know, true. I mean, com- complete with the with the decaying bodies hinting at booby traps, which is like, you know, like classic trope, right? For yeah. Indiana Jones. So, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. Throwing a rock to trigger the system. Yeah, it was all just like. Indiana Jones in space. And I, of course, grew up in Indiana Jones. Excuse me. Loved them all. So I'm here for it. I I really enjoyed that bit. Giving me some ideas for uh, when I DM our next campaign. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Timed traps will be fun. Yeah. And Sinclair counting to, to figure out the delay was clever. Although, you know, he had a script. You know, why would he assume that there's a delay? I guess they have to recharge, but... Um, I thought it was interesting that they didn't comment on the dead soldier there. It's like, oh, there's a dead body. They didn't like, oh, we've never seen that guy before. Or why is there a soldier down here? Or what species is he? No commentary on that. And it looked like an interesting design too, that, that creature. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It's like the characters had all the same genre savvy as the audience and yeah. like knows that there's something bigger up in front because if this was an actual like exploratory expedition that would be coming across a a a decomposing alien soldier or whatever that was that would be a huge find and there'd be a lot of discussion about it and what it does what does it mean and you know can we take him back for study but they don't really care they don't give a shit they don't really care about the booby trap either except to get past it yeah but you know they don't have any conversations like oh wow well what kind of power source is generating Mm -hmm. these or is there an alternate way in or you know like uh (laughs) You know, nothing like that. You mentioned genre savvy. And it's not just Battle on 5, but most other science fiction shows, it seems like they're in a vacuum. And what I mean by that is that there's no, like, cultural heritage that they're pulling on. It would be so cool if in these episodes or in these sci-fi shows, like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing this thing on TV once, and there was traps. 
in this area maybe something like that's going on here and they kind of pull back some like cultural context or it'd be kind of funny if they're like oh yeah remember watching that episode of star trek from like 1963 <laughs> where they went through there yeah. there's that giant smasher maybe this is what that is <laughs> yeah i i completely agree with that yeah if they had some some notion in universe that there was fiction yeah that had these ideas i mean londo out of nowhere saying maybe you woke something up maybe you've awakened something you know it's like mm-hmm. uh well <laughs> that's quite a assumption if you didn't already have some genre savvy yeah <laughs> yeah 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 no i i agree that would be interesting if they if they especially because it's supposed to be future earth right why not reference i guess they do like they they have that um bugs bunny cartoon sure sure i I guess probably a lot of it is there's obviously copyright issues and stuff like that but they could always change names and stuff oh that one episode of that one show with commander timothy or right whatever that was on the entrepreneur or something instead of the enterprise so kentucky jones yeah yeah (laughs) yeah just change names a little bit right (laughs) exactly I thought that would be fun. Yeah, I love. I like the Indiana Jonesing. I was there for it. Londo and the hokey pokey scene <laughs> was at some point after that, and I, uh, I mean, that was cute. It was a cute scene. I was a little surprised. You know, they must have had too much for one episode, but not quite enough for two episodes because, yeah, I mean, that was a pretty filler scene. And in an episode with three plot threads, it seems like they got a lot of stuff to get through. <laughs> it's a little surprising to see such a filler, such a filler scene that doesn't really move any needle. I think more than anything, they just needed to establish that connection with Delan and Drawl visiting Mondo. And that's probably what that really came down to. But to your point, that was a filler scene, a funny one, but a filler scene. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was funny. And yeah, sure, they... I understand they have that have the characters meet, but they could have met in a scene that also somehow, you know, <laughs> moved the needle of one of sure. the three plots along. Sure. Yeah, but it was it was a funny scene. I, I agree. Uh, you know, it means nothing. I've been <laughs> studying it for three weeks. It means nothing. Referring to the hokey pokey. Yeah, that was pretty funny. And then they discover a massive what looks like computer inside the planet. And then they find that one guy from Sinclair's Visions plugged into it and then they unplug him and Ivanova comments on how it's a very bad idea and they shouldn't be doing this. They do it anyways. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what was interesting about that is Ivanova is sort of talking through their situation, you know, basically explaining why rescuing this guy isn't maybe a good idea. She's like, well, our, you know, there was an earthquake and the way they came in rubble had collapsed the tunnel so they couldn't go back that way you know very video Mm. (laughs) game-esque mechanic there and then she's like oh and we have a limited oxygen we don't know when our oxygen is gonna run out we don't know how to get back to the station i'm here sitting like yeah oh man this is all true (laughs) uh how are they gonna get back oh they're just gonna walk off you know stage right and then they're back (laughs) and that was it why did they collapse the tunnel? Why did they have Ivanova talk about what a sticky situation they're in? Like, they literally hard cut to them being back in the shuttle and everything's fine. Yeah. 
I do wish that we had gotten a little bit more of that part of the episode. They would show them trying to figure their way back and that sort of thing. That would have been fun. Well, that would have been a great thing to spend the time on that they spent on Lando seeing the hokey pokey. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It, it was it was so much set up with zero payoff, that, you mm-hmm. know, and for them to literally drop it from one scene to the next was just a little jarring. I wonder if they filmed it and cut it. But again, why why keep that hokey pokey scene if you're going to cut this? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just made no sense to me. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, how are they going to get out? How are they going to... Oh, oh I, guess, I guess the shuttle was literally just, just slightly to the right. <laughs> the camera was panned over. You couldn't see it, but it was yes. just right over there. <laughs> also gave Ivanova another moment to comment on her russianness so there's that too you know ivanova's ethnicity ivanova's russianness is mentioned more than i think any other characters yeah uh, you know maybe except the aliens right who who are constantly yeah referencing alien things uh (laughs) yeah yeah every other episode she talks about oh well (laughs) this is just how we russians are you know something like that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh yeah i don't dislike it but they do play that card pretty often yeah i don't think the other characters really get much in the way of that kind of cultural background at least the earth-based characters garibaldi gets a little bit of it but ivana far and away leads the pack from that standpoint well i'd love to see you know sinclair get like he was born on mars well Mm -hmm. you know surely mars has some culture and things that are just as unique as russia's right it's a whole nother planet like what yeah yeah. so let's see some idioms from mars like what are some pithy (laughs) sayings from mars guys you can start Uh, talking belter and call that good yeah yeah, that's right yeah from the uh expanse expanse, yeah yeah Yeah, so the the mars plot i thought was pretty interesting Mm -hmm. you know there's an insurrection on mars however i felt like I don't know. I, I, I'm sure they're going to do more with it. Yeah. Uh, it really didn't feel very weighty this episode. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's it's far away right now. It's not really affecting them directly, other than Garibaldi at this point. Yeah, and that was kind of it. It's it's you know what? A, there's a insurrection, heavy fighting, and really Sinclair and Garibaldi are just mopey about it. Mm-hmm. And it's like this mopiness is supposed to, I think, carry the emotional, you know, sort of weight of of the event. But like I said, for me at least, it didn't. And partly because Garibaldi is worried about someone we've never heard about, or, right? You know, he's never spoken to or spoken of, and uh, yeah. So yeah, I I thought it was an interesting plot point. I like to see it feel more weighty. It felt pretty. Like pretty nothing in this particular episode it's interesting because this is a plot element they've been setting up for a couple episodes now they've mentioned free mars like two or three times in previous episodes mm-hmm. and now it's starting to come to fruition obviously at a very low level right now but it'll be interesting to see how it develops in the coming episodes because i think it will play a larger role um as we, we may come to to see in the future episodes perhaps even in tko who knows we haven't seen that episode yet yeah we sure haven't <laughs> Your favorite, by the way, right? I heard that's one you really enjoyed. Absolute, so. absolute favorite episode, TKO. Best, <laughs> best of the series. Fight me. <laughs> you know what? What I was just thinking of mm-hmm. is when in early in the episode, this episode, 
Ivanova mentions that Mars is just not mentioned in the report, like it's absent. Right. right. Is that really how that would work? Like, if you just don't hear from a military base, then the report just leaves it blank. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm sure they're fine. They slept in. We'll just leave them off the report. Like, wouldn't the report say, like, no communications, last transmission at this time? suspected causes might be the following right like yeah especially since you imagine that mars is the second largest colony of earth outside of earth itself you imagine right. there would be yeah. more communication around that exactly exactly i'm, I'm just ma- imagining you know if like a usm you know like the benghazi uh, embassy attack or something if they were just like oh we haven't heard from the embassy uh, I'm sure it's fine. Just just leave that part <laughs> blank. Leave it blank. It'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. No, I don't know. So that was a little silly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. I thought of a question it, but it was Sinclair's response. I think that was silly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, anyone who's genre savvy, like you don't spend a line talking about something that's nothing. Right. right. So obviously it's something. But yeah, Sinclair dismissing it was uh, a little funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing this episode is missing is a conclusion because it doesn't wrap up. You know, it it is part one and it feels like part one. It yes. just it pretty abruptly ends. <laughs> yeah. So they, uh, they make it back to the station and they get the sickly caretaker of the machine to the med lab. Mm-hmm. And uh, he tells them he needs to be helped and that someone needs to fix the machine or something or it will destroy them all, as he says. And right. then we, we cut back to C&C and Garibaldi's talking about what's going on down there. And then all of a sudden, Operations tells him something's coming through the jump gate. And then it cuts away when he says, what the hell is that? My wife thinks it's the Vorlons. Could be. That's her guess. Yeah. <laughs> the Vorlons coming back to take over the planet, maybe? That they're going to say, you're not ready for it, and then blow up the entire station? That is exactly what she, yeah, she, she's like, they're coming and they're going to say, you're not ready for this. <laughs> they're going to shoot lasers at it. Yeah. <laughs> Deus Ex Vorlon. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought this was a, a pretty good episode. I, it was interesting. I thought it was very interesting to see them explore the planet. I loved the old uh you know defense system is still active you know i think the first time i came across this trope was in the hitchhiker's guide for the galaxy (laughs) so it is a a long honored (laughs) science fiction (laughs) trope so yeah yes love seeing it and i have to say it wasn't much less silly in this episode than it was in hitchhiker's guide (laughs) i mean you know sinclair and ivanova getting into a shuttle together it was just very uh captain kirk you know punching aliens with his shirt off kind right. of you know yeah for sure <laughs> that, going that on adventures exactly exactly that tradition yeah yeah all you really needed were some red shirts that got shot and then it would have been straight out of star trek at that point that's exactly right i mean it, it almost felt like they only had ivanova and sinclair together in the shuttle because otherwise they'd have to kill off right you know, you know they're gonna come back they're mainline characters mainline actors they can't exactly. go away Oh my god, Eric, we should spend an episode at some point talking about the movie Galaxy Quest. Because and, I yep. think about Galaxy <laughs> Quest all the time watching this show, and it is such I don't know if it's underrated. I know a lot of people like it. I think it's underrated. It it is such a good 
you know send up of all these sci-fi tropes yeah well uh, and including the guy who who's literally whose name is guy <laughs> and starts freaking out that he's gonna die because he doesn't have a last name <laughs> yes yeah well listeners i want to uh calm your beating hearts we will watch galaxy quest at the end of the first season as a send-off for the first season so that's the plan is we will be reviewing galaxy quest as a special at the end of the season one of babylon 5 wait was this your plan all along i thought i was i thought i was proposing a a cool new idea were you were you did you already have this planned oh yeah because we talked about it like five episodes ago you forgot (laughs) oh my god oh my god oh my god you know this is the problem with recording myself is <laughs> is now there is like proof that i completely forget <laughs> what i talked to you about oh boy well it is quite late here and uh, i'm clearly going senile so <laughs> i think i think let's wrap it up <laughs> yeah let's do let's do uh, before we wrap it up though give me your favorite character of the episode oh favorite character I mean, I think Londo. I think Londo. You know, he was spreading happiness, which I think <laughs> is a great thing to do. Uh, you know, he's not just—he wasn't just terrorizing Jakar in this episode. True. <laughs> uh, yeah, Londo. I don't know. Ivanova had that great uh, Bab Five mantra speech. Yes, there's. Now I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Londo. I Londo. Like Londo. All right, good choice. I liked when that. he asked if Sinclair would tell him what he found, and <laughs> Sinclair said no. Yeah. He was like, all right, well, we know where we stand then. Yes. <laughs> that was a cute line. Yeah, <laughs> very true. Yeah, well, all around a, a, a decent episode. Since it's a two-parter, you know, we can't really assess the episode in its fullness until we finish the second part, which we'll hopefully be able to do in the next week or so. Until then, friends, we will bid you adieu. Good eating to you. And a good eating to you all. (laughs) We're never going to get that uh, at the same time. (laughs) uh, All right. Okay. Good night.